Should we actually start normally? Hell yeah. I got my energy drink with me, so I'm ready. I don't... I have water. Well, it is without calories, so it's basically water which tastes kind of like good. This. That's <laughs> cool. It's with... Hang on. It's a Berry Blast. Rockstar. What brand is it? Do we promote brands? It's okay, so let's do it, because maybe they'll pay us now. You think? Yeah, go on. Go for it. What is it? This episode is sponsored by Rockstar. That <laughs> sound is satisfying, though. I have three more, so if you... <laughs> I think my heart will explode, but okay. <laughs> so what is this flavor of Rockstar that you rather lovingly just took a swing of? It is a... <laughs> it is Berry Blast for performance energy with caffeine, B vitamins, and zero sugar. Hey, Chris, when I feel down, I get myself a Berry Blast Rockstar energy drink. And I feel... Like a rock star. <laughs> and it does have, according to the can, 1,000 milligrams of BCAA aminos. What is a BCAA amino? It's, um, amino acid. I think it's, a, it's a, an acid that is in protein and it's, it's for muscle regeneration, I think. Ah. So it's actually, if that stuff is in here, that's kind of good. Yeah. But I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> For you, it is with your injured ankle. You need all the like strength reinforcement oh, you can yeah, get. Hell yeah! But so when I'm uh, when I want to feel like a Hulk, I drink Rockstar Berry something Berry Blast <laughs> Berry Blast <laughs> to build my muscle XD and make power. me feel like my legs are tree trunks. <laughs> Rockstar X Power XD coming power. to you in a store. In a fridge, probably, and it's, pro <laughs> it's probably massively overpriced. Yeah, dude, I only buy this shit when it's uh, on sale. <laughs> we just lost our sponsorship. <laughs> just said it was really overpriced. There we go. All right, let's start properly. Now. Cool. Uh, cue jingle. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod. I'm your host, Ashley, and joining me on the other side of the interweb, uh, now feeling slightly better, he's not injured himself this time, uh, is Chris Weinhardt. Chris, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you, Roberto. How are you? <laughs> Mark with a C. Uh, Mark with a C. Every time I think about that, I just think of Mark from the film The Room. If you've seen the <laughs> oh, oh, hi, hi Mark. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how is your sex life? <laughs> yeah. I did not. I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> that film is it's a gem. What's his that name again? Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. Wiseau, I think. Yeah. Now, quick interest. In fact, him and the guy who played uh, um, Mark or whatever his name is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was Mark. Uh, I think he's called Greg something. Um, they actually then made another film together and it came out maybe five years ago, maybe six years ago. But I don't think this one was sort of ironically bad. I think it was just bad. This time. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't checked it out. I probably should. Um, so aside from references to cult rubbish movies that are mm. going to probably come up again on the show, here's what's coming up this week. We actually have no guest this week. It's just an us talking nonsense Episode. So we're going to dive into 
what we've been listening to first off. We will also review the first new single from Polyverso. Is that how you pronounce it? Polyverso, I think so, right? I think so. Cool. And their EP comes out on the 17th of September. And that's um, a group that includes a previous guest we had on here, a guy called Surin, who was a member of the band Orange Utan or Orangi Utan. Orangi Utan. I don't know how you say it, but anyway, whatever. That's an apeshit crazy name. <laughs> then we're going to talk about the best live recordings. Uh, we're going to have a little discussion about some of our favorites, a discussion and share of some things that we love. Also, today in 8-Bit Wonderland, Ashley will talk a lot about GTA, and I'm looking forward to that. And then we're going to finish off with, as usual, our Desert Island playlist. And uh, I've, there's a clear theme between the music I've been listening to and what's going to be on the Desert Island playlist. So, um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, so let's jump into it. What have we been listening to this week? Chris, what have you been uh, what, we've, what have you been plugging the space between your ears with? So I'm, weirdly enough, coming back. And this, this will be a reoccurring theme during, uh, during the episode. Uh, I'm coming back to prog metal and prog rock. Oh. Uh, and it has been a while. And I've been listening to the Devin Townsend project again, Kingdom mm. especially, which was my introduction to Devin Townsend and I think was the introduction to a lot of people to Devin Townsend when he released his live version, quote-unquote live version, on EMG TV a couple of years ago. Have you seen that? No, never seen that. Dude, it is fucking insane. He basically plays guitar and sings to the backing track. And Devin Townsend is a musical marvel. The dude can sing and play and everything. And if you if you want to like a a quick three minute summary of what he can do and what he does, watch Kingdom by Devin Townsend on EMG TV on YouTube. It is fucking insane. Music is. Have you also been listening to some more metal in here? Right, another really famous band who have uh, been quite influential and had a lot of diverse influences as well. Uh, Children of Bodom, uh, which were sadly in the news at the beginning of this year because their frontman Alexi Laiho uh, passed away from, as it seems, alcohol abuse over the years. Mm. With just 41 years, I think, which was very, very sad for me because Children of Bodom and especially Alexi Laio have been a major influence in my, for me and my guitar playing. And like Children of Bodom was the first real metal band that I listened to when I grew up. So, I mean, they, I think they quit the, like the band disbanded two years ago. I think. And he even sold the rights to the name. That's why he formed a new one, which was called Bodom After Midnight. So, like, the whole magic of the band was already gone. Mm. But, yeah, him passing away. At one, dude, when that happened, when I read that, 
like I really felt that, and I it, it was like a gut punch, right? That for mm-hmm. maybe for the first time in my life that a, an artist that influenced me and that I grew up with just died, and that was weird, like that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it really made me sad actually, and I, I called. Uh, well, I, I wrote to friends of mine, my, like my 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 bandmate Flo. He also, dude, he owns an Alexi guitar. So, um, yeah, and I'm just re-listening to all that. I love. I, I sound like a hipster, but I love the old stuff from them <laughs> so much more than the, the newer stuff. listening to a band that i've mentioned on here a few times and uh can't get enough of um the war on drugs uh they've released nothing new necessarily they released uh the last album they released was 2017 and that was a deeper understanding and they only released another album before that called lost in the dream before that they had a couple of albums as well um wagon wheel blues and i think the other one is slave ambient anyway um and they were quite a few years ago so they've They've only really been around for a decade or so, at least sort of making widely released music, but I think they're one of the best sort of indie rock, alternative rock bands that are sort of out there at the minute. It's got a very sort of Springsteenian classic rock vibe to a lot of it. Um, Springsteenian? Jesus. Yeah, it's... Is it's, that um, a word? <laughs> it is now. And uh, <laughs> Oh man, Ashley influencing everybody. <laughs> and it's... Uh, They've got they've got a cool just uh, driving rock vibe, and I really really like them. Um, and they released a live album in December uh, two thousand twenty uh, called Live Drugs, as you do. But when you Google this, it comes up with various shit that, that isn't this album. Um, <laughs> so yeah, not really what I wanted. Um, I've been listening to that this week and been absolutely obsessed with it because it feels like. I'm actually at a gig again, and it's a reality that we'll all get to experience soon, I think, but it's kind of an experience I've forgotten about completely. Um, The recording of it is so good here. They've sort of balanced, I think, really nicely, blending some... uh, They've got some nice audience-placed mics mixed in with the actual, like, mixing deck and stuff like that. It's very good. so cool. And it really sounds like you're actually in the audience. Like, it's really well done. It, it, I guess the best way to describe it is almost dire straits like like it's really tight rhythms and really nice guitar licks and riffs and decent solos here and there and there's allowed to sort of be piano solos and organ solos occasionally and stuff it's really like a full band experience um, and the lead singer live sounds a lot more raw and um, a bit out of tune and out of key but like he actually cares i find that on the records he sounds a little bit thin a little bit like whiny maybe um but live it's not the case at all and is a lovely bloke um by all accounts that i've read and heard and stuff adam Granduciol is the lead singer from philadelphia and apparently is an absolutely lovely guy and um I remember there was a rig rundown he did where he just seems like a really fascinating bloke. And they've got this really cool sound of different... um, They use different sort of, um, like, patched-in sort of uh, bits of feedback and reverb and the ocean and stuff like this to blend in between the songs. 
and uh, some nice. of the sort of noises they make with the guitars themselves. And I remember on this rig rundown, this guy asked him, you know, oh, well, you know, do you have a special setting? And, you know, do you have all of this stuff? You know, what level is this dial on and stuff? And this Adam guy is like, I just turn it all the way up. Everything's mm-hmm. on 10. <laughs> I, was like, I love this guy. He's just like, yeah, whatever. I don't really know what it does. It's just on. Okay, yeah. cool. Sweet. Um, cool. That's the sort of level of geekiness I can get on board with. Just turn it all the way up. See what happens. 211, so, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Anyway, so that's what I've been listening to. And the War on Drugs might make another appearance on the Desert Island. Hmm, who knows? <laughs> so there we go. And something else we've been listening to this week is uh, something we're going to talk about now. Uh, the band that Chris quickly introduced earlier on, Polyverso. This is a new gathering of people from a previous guest on the podcast called Soren Muller, who is from the band Orangutan, Orangutan, whatever. And uh, he's now gone off and joined a four-piece band uh, with a guy called Andre, uh, Soren, Scott and Eduardo. And it's a sort of swirly Latin prog rock project, uh, Polyverso. And their first single is out now. El Quinto Sol. Let's, let's both butcher the pronunciation of this. So, Polyverso. The fifth song, son, maybe? There's got to be some of the. Quinto has We're to. We're too lazy to type this in onto translate because I can't be bothered. Like, I, I, I will. Hang on. The fifth son, maybe? Yeah, I think so, right? That must be what it is. El Quinto Sol, I guess is how you say it. But, El um, Quinto Sol. Yeah, the fifth son. Dude, we are awesome. We're geniuses. <laughs> We're so good. Um, we are so smart. S-M-A-T. <laughs> anyway, El Quinto Sol. Polyverso's first release. Here's a clip. Uh, El Quinto Sol, first uh, single by Polyverso, self-produced uh, track uh, that they've done here ahead of their EP, which comes out on the 17th of September 2021 this year, uh, or as I like to call it, 2020 Continued. Um, mm-hmm. What month will we be in of 2020? Month 21 of 2020. Um, Chris, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, on this track? Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> I, I like it. Um, starts in three four, which I dig. Uh, switches. I think there's a couple of seven eights in there. There is a uh, around three forty. I think uh, five five four part. I uh, love five four, dude. Uh, only thing that I more love than five four is eleven fours. Eleven is heaven, right? 
<laughs> I did a song in 11-4 once and it was weird, but uh, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, I th songwriting, awesome. I love the keyboards in there. Yeah, there's a key player, right? Scott, Scott McLean. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, I think the mix is a bit, I think it, the mix could be better, like a bit more polished. Yeah. The songwriting doesn't suffer from it, but sometimes I think it's sloppily played. Which bugs me. There's a guitar solo in there, and you can hear like it's not like in time. And there's, I think, a, even a, a mistake in there. And sometimes like little mistakes can be cool because it makes it sound organic and human, which is awesome. But if something's played just a bit sloppily, uh, I, I'm, maybe I'm being too harsh here because I like the song. Like I said, it's, it's cool, it's awesome. Uh, I dig prog rock. No, I don't. I don't think you're being too harsh, actually, at all. Like, I, I kind of had a similar feeling. Uh, this isn't my sort of music at all. Like, by the way, like it really isn't. Um, this it's this yeah Latin kind of influence prog rock and and prog rock on the on overall isn't really my favorite genre. Hmm. Um, it's fine, but I don't massively like it. So with these sort of Latin kind of influences, I was a little bit like, well, this isn't really my thing, but it is cool. I must admit, it's cool and. Um, for being sort of self-produced and mixed and stuff, I actually think it's pretty good. It sounds pretty solid for just sort of, you know, something you do at home. But I noticed the same thing you did about the guitar solo. Now, I don't know if it's a stylistic thing where you want to sort of play a bit offbeat and off rhythm and you want to get this kind of lazy, like, uh, dancey kind of... I don't know, I imagine sort of like Colos Santana kind of guy just sort of lazily playing along, you know. And maybe that's really what they were going for. But... Yeah, it's something about it annoyed me as well, and I don't really know what it was, but it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't really, I didn't really feel like it added anything, I guess, and it, it kind mm. of annoyed me a little bit. Um, but otherwise, I actually really didn't like. As I say, it's never going to be my favorite genre of music at all. But um, I actually quite liked it. I thought it was, you know, pretty fine. But the, yeah, the guitar solo bothered me as well. <laughs> um, which now I feel like a dick for saying, because now I'm probably making out that I could somehow do a way better job. And I definitely can't. But, um, <laughs> so, you know, no offense, guitar player. What's it, Andre, I think, um, or something like, I could not play the guitar for shit. So well done. But, um, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it was something, it was something a bit off for me somehow. Mm. What I absolutely, like, I wouldn't have thought about it, lab labeling it as Latin influenced because I fucking hate Latin rock. Yeah, yeah. I I can't listen to Santana songs. There's one I like, and that's The Calling. I think it's called. It's a, a pretty long one. That's what she said. Um, mm. But other than... Oh, gee, I hate this call and response thing of a dude singing and Carlos Santana chiming in for a fucking pentatonic leak every other second. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. of course, I get it. Santana is influential. Yes, I would can never play as good as Santana. Yep, <laughs> I can't listen to it. So when I first read Latin influence prog rock, I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this is going. But um, to, 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 I, we, yeah, if that's Latin influence, cool. More of it. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. Um, so the rest of their EP, I think, is going to follow a similar style as well, this sort of Latin prog rock, with lyrics that tackle the current state of our planet from a mythological point of view. Sounds interesting, I must admit. Um, 
So definitely dig into that and check that out. And mm. Soren, who is the bassist here, was uh, the uh, member of Orange Utan, Orangi Utan. Uh, him and his bandmate were the guests on the episode that was at least a year ago now. And that is a little bit different. That's like punk prog rock. So prog rock, but also goes a bit nuts occasionally. Cool. Um, and that was really different and cool. And their album's called Catastrophil, I think. And I guess that means catastrophe in German. So, uh, but, um, and that's out and about uh, now on the airwaves and things. And they have a wonderful vinyl with it. If you do want to purchase vinyl, which you should do, or CDs or whatever, you should definitely try to support the artists you like by purchasing something physical. Um, I can totally recommend the vinyl package. It comes with a poster, stickers. It's on a, this beautiful, like, clear vinyl in really, really <coughs> thick, like, decent quality, too. It's really beautiful, actually, like the package with it. And the artwork is great, and I really, really loved it. So definitely check them out, too. But I'm excited to hear what they come up with next because I think this is a decent sort of first venture into this yeah Latin prog rock uh, genre yeah. so I'm interested to hear what comes next also the artwork is great yeah right we haven't even talked about that but it's fantastic I wonder who does that, that. that's a like a it's a retro sci-fi like all those pulp magazines from the 70s or 60s it yeah. has that when science fiction wasn't <laughs> bleak and dystopian at every corner, but uh, uplifting, and we should go out there and search for something, and not and not uh, let's get fucking destroyed every other day by aliens. Yeah, when sci-fi didn't mean cosmic horror, which it seems yeah, to now. <laughs> right. um, but there we go. So thank you for submitting that, uh, Soren. Thank you very much for sending that over. As I say, check out the EP on the 17th of September, which will be available absolutely everywhere. But I know that they're big on Bandcamp too. So uh, head to Bandcamp and that's Polyverso you'll be looking for. Now, yeah. our mailbox had another letter in it again, Chris. Oh, um, what's what was it? Was it Ben? It was Ben again. Ben? The, the foul-mouthed uh, <laughs> youngster? The foul-mouthed nine-year-old. He's been back again. All oh, right, right, and right. Uh, he, he loved the segment previously, by the way. So that's good, and uh, we're definitely going to keep that in. But uh, he also inspired this uh, this segment we're going to talk about now with best live recording. So I'll just read out the letter for you first. Cool. He says, "Dear Thank Vendel, you, ben. dear Vendel and Weinhardt, I love your podcast and the things you talk about. It's great to hear new music. I do not always understand your naughty words, but my teachers tell me I have a colourful vo vocabulary. Well, well." Yeah based on your last letter uh, that's <laughs> the bacon bazooka <laughs> yeah i'd say you do have a colorful vocabulary ben uh my dad is my biggest musical inspiration that's lovely however my dad is a fucking hermit and never leaves the house wow okay he says it's because of the so-called coronavirus in inverted commas but i think it's because he's a pussy okay obviously <laughs> What more logical explanation is that? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently. Uh, he says, we never go to concerts because apparently they've been cancelled. And even when we could go, he would never go because he hates people, including me. Well, okay. Um, my, my dad is a complete failure and a douche. <laughs> what? But also your inspiration, Ben, you're weird. <laughs> There's some like serious family therapy that needs to happen here. Um, so because he's a complete failure and a douche, what live recordings can you recommend to me so I can rock out in my room? Many thanks, Ben. 
Now that is a good question, Ben. Hell yeah. And we're going to talk about it right now. Best live recordings, especially important at a time when live music... <laughs> I don't even know what it feels like. Chris, what does it feel like <laughs> to a gig? Dude, a, a friend of mine yesterday sent me a photo. He actually is at a festival right now. Wow. A, a, and I was like, hang, hang on. <laughs> Stop everything. Wait, I'll, ch I'll get out the... As with every episode of BPM... Uh, we will talk about a picture yeah. <laughs> that we cannot show. <laughs> uh, the uh, usual great podcast material. Hang on. There it is. There's an actual crowd he photographed in front of an actual stage. And like you said, I don't even know how that feels anymore. Like what feelings it's did we used to get? Why did we used to go, oh, wow. So it's an actual crowd. They're not a meter apart at all. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still a bit of space there, but they're not like far apart. Um, there's no masks either, right? Like, I can't, can't quite make it no. out. No, no, I don't think so. There's, well, maybe, maybe. a few actually. Doesn't but matter either way. Like, what, what, what did we used to go to see live music for? I guess to be like thrilled and touched and whatever. I can't even remember any of these experiences anymore. Mm. To actually talk to people uh not through a microphone yeah yeah to actually have a beer with other people who are fans of the same thing you are like <laughs> you know like it, it's it's bizarre like I, i'm actually a bit worried when we do go back to gigs because i'm not quite sure how i'm gonna have the energy to sort of focus or anything <laughs> i'm gonna be like oh this is so tiring like sitting in a chair or whatever but, <laughs> yeah but, Yeah, bizarre. But live recordings have really sort of got me through this. And earlier I was talking about the war on drugs. And that is one I would recommend people check out. But I'm not going to talk about it too much now because I mentioned it earlier. But Chris, you've picked a few and I've picked a few. And maybe we yep. ping pong them starting off with your recommendations. And one is from uh, the city you're in right now. My first pick would be Rammstein live aus Berlin. not a huge fan of Rammstein. Uh, I think they have kind of become a, not a parody of themselves, but it's just, uh, to me, uh, I can't, like the whole of Germany freaks out whenever Rammstein releases something. And I just think the, like the concept is still cool and awesome, but it's just, it's it expected. Uh, so the, the whole novelty of the thing has worn off, I think. Uh, but uh, the Life aus Berlin, Life aus Berlin uh, album, that's something back, I think it's from 1999, so before they actually had their big international breakthrough. And that's when their whole, like the Neue Deutsche Härte, which is a genre they basically 
well crafted themselves <laughs> for themselves uh, a reference to Neue Deutsche Welle which is a weird 80s genre from east is it from east germany oh jesus christ i think i'm fucking this up well it's it, no it, basically a german genre during the during the 80s and so it's a Neue Deutsche Härte is a weird mixture of heavy guitars heavy not heavy metal per se like not in the classic sense of Iron Maiden or Judas Priest heavy metal, but just like, yeah, basic riffs, basic rhythms, and combine that with industrial elements and keyboards. So, yeah, basically what you would imagine if you think, if Germany had a sound, it's mm. that. <laughs> I would say that's a pretty accurate description of Rammstein, though, actually. I think that's what a lot of people have sort of now associated with german especially rock sound is rammstein really like yeah uh, for sure so they they i think they yeah they have to be like germany's biggest export band mm. right i think nothing even comes close no. to them in terms of size and and influence on other artists and yeah of course they are known for their live show i've never been actually to a rammstein concert but everybody knows about the the whole fire thing and uh, explosions and whatever. So everyone that I know that was there says it's like something that has to be seen mm, live. Mm. Uh, actually, like the flames, you can. I think my my father once went to a concert and he was very like in the back of the audience, and even he felt the flames, like the, those sky high flames. So I can't even imagine how it must feel in the first in front mm. row. Uh, so yeah, um, back to the life of Spillian. Um You can already hear that it's like super awesomely produced and everything. Like for a live sound, it's it's amazing, but it has still that raw touch. And what I super dig about it is like the, that you can hear the audience. That harks back to your uh, mention of um, mics being placed in the audience and stuff. Yeah, the war on drugs. Yeah, yeah. Right, and there's um, there's two two um, parts in there where you can actually hear the audience, like hear mm, their words, mm, like how hear them mm. talking. And one time, it's just a guy cursing, like it's a, it's a quiet part in whatever song, and you just hear that dude in the background chaisa. And a, a buddy of mine always said he must have dropped his uh, favorite Rammstein bratwurst, <laughs> or I don't know. It's his favorite Rammstein merch. And another time is during Seemann, which is a very cool song from their first album, Herzeleid, uh, the first ballad they ever did. I think one of their cl classic, classic tracks for, for... I don't know if they still play it. Um, and there's a line in there, Wer hält meine Hand? So who's holding mm, my mm. hand? Um, and someone in the audience just, just shouts, Ich! <laughs> really loud and you can you can hear it on headphones it's pretty cool so i i like that when they when the band doesn't cut that out and leaves it in there for future generations to come it's good i i like that sort uh, of stuff in live stuff though because it reminds you that it's all like yeah unpredictable i've listened to that album especially with a uh, my friend from from primary school whenever we played super smash brothers and played gta and so it holds a special place in my heart I I don't like the newest, the more recent stuff from from Rammstein. Uh, not so much a fan. There's a song here and there w uh, that I like, but I think my favorite album, just to round this thing off, uh, would be Reise Reise. I love that one. 
which is already 15 years old. I think 18 years old. It's so old. Don't mention stuff like that because then it makes me feel old when I'm about to mention my old stuff now instead. Also, by the way, a quick note um, to people who listen to this. In the background, you might be able to hear a baby having a proper meltdown. Do not worry. I am not murdering a child off microphone. Um, It is my daughter absolutely refusing to sleep. Um, So uh, that's being dealt with by my wife. And uh, there might be a murder in a minute. We'll see. But um, right now, I can't. Uh, hear it and i'm not involved so anyway yeah, apologies for that um you mentioned ramstein the album being old <laughs> but now if that's old i'm about to go really old because as people who listen to this regularly realize my musical taste has not really progressed basically it's all of the stuff my dad listens to minus the 90s to 2010 because in that era i just didn't care mm-hmm. and then 2010 onwards so there's like a huge 20 year gap which isn't strictly true but Nearly, and then it's either like dad's music or Ashley's own discoveries. That's it. That's really where my music goes. And this is firmly in dad's music uh, territory, but slightly Ashley's own discoveries because I'm going to talk about Weld by Neil Young. Um, And Neil Young is a legend. I don't know many people involved in any form of rock music who don't at least respect the guy, even if they're not, you know, influenced by him or listen to him very often. Everyone knows who the fuck Neil Young is, like, and because he's just a legend, like, really one of the greatest musicians in rock music probably ever. Um, and he released Weld in 1991 with his band Crazy Horse. And this came at a period when Neil Young had a really dreadful run in the 80s of making rock and roll music, and it was shit. Um, and um, <laughs> he went and made Trans, which has sort of been reviewed very well nowadays, but at the time was really poor. It was one of the first albums to use like synths in rock and stuff and vocoders and stuff like this. Um, oh, and most it was, unorthodox. I mean, it was weird and it was crap. But um, ever since, people have sort of reassessed it and remixed it and done like acoustic versions of these songs and things. And actually, it's better than people remember it. It's still not great, though. Anyway. So then he came back, and this is where Neil Young really earned the uh, title that he has, the Godfather of Grunge. And this is where he really inspired people like Pearl Jam a lot. Uh, they really tuned in in the sort of 90s period, and uh, some of the live albums from the 80s as well. <coughs> Kurt Cobain uh, famously like quoted Neil Young, I think, in his suicide note, and was a huge Neil Young fan. And a lot of it comes back to this sort of sound that you can hear on Weld, which is really basic rock, but noisy as fuck. And um, just a shit ton of fun to listen to. Just really good sort of have a beer, zone out, put this on for an hour and a half kind of thing. It's it's really great to listen to. Nothing on this album is new. They're all uh, sort of songs that have been previously recorded live as well. So they're just reworked versions of some old live recordings too. But everything here is heavy and raw and yeah grungy it really feels like grunge has been invented even though it hadn't been it had been already by this point but it really feels like a like a benchmark kind of grunge album neil young permanently damaged his hearing mixing this album because it is quite loud and it's widely considered one of the best album live albums ever made the recording is incredible again it's got this blend of audience noise as well which i love uh, they move in sound effects at some points to blend the tracks together. And um, yeah, it's cited as one of the best live recordings that's ever been. Um, and it sounds like, legitimately sounds like you are there, 
which um, is great. So that's my probably that's probably my favourite live album actually ever. Uh, Chris, your suggestion. You've got a couple more, and I've got a couple more as well. Uh, one of these I've never heard, and the other one I have heard, and I'm really glad you reminded me of it because I've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> should I start with that one, or which one should Go I pick? Go for it. Go for it. Why not? Okay, uh, so that would be Phil Collins' says, finally the first farewell tour, um, which was, was that his final tour as a solo artist? No, it was not. I went to his concert two years ago. Jesus, what's wrong with me? But yeah, his his first <laughs> i think every major artist has has at least two farewell tours right <laughs> once the the bank accounts empty out um so yeah um before that i think there was one other live recording the one in the with the circus i think but yeah that one is just people give Phil Collins a lot of shit for his pop stuff and i I get it. I think sometimes it's not the most inspired stuff, but this live recording shows such an amazing amount of craftsmanship between everybody involved. Like every last session musician on, well, he has his regular band, of course, but I think his background singers, they sw have been switched out from time to time. And just everybody is just so good on this stage. I think there is, how many people on there 15 at times maybe like his background band consists of a, a brass ensemble at least four i think four brass instruments and four session musicians so that uh, uh, background singers so that would already be eight and there's a drummer percussionist so 10 three guitars two i think two to three two or three yeah yeah then of course the mighty leland sklar on bass uh, who's not only known for his beard, but, but for, for his bass playing skills. So yeah, huge band. Uh, but what stands out the most has to be the opening of the concert, which is a like a, a drum duel between him and Chester Thompson, uh, w which then gets joined by the percussionist, whose name uh, I don't know. And it's like this drum tr trio thing, and it's like... Everybody, or, well, m most mainstream listeners, I would say, don't know about or forget about Phil Collins' past as the drummer for Genesis. And, like, the dude was crazy good. And he, well, he wasn't as old as he is now, of course, back when this was released. I think it was 2003. But, like, such an amazing drummer. S the level of skill, like, the dude can really really play and i think he has influenced so many drummers and many people don't know even about his influences on the drums and seeing him like go totally nuts with this other drummer and the percussionist is just 
inspiring. I, I don't know how many times I watched this opening. There's a quick note here that I can see in the script that says, and can you describe like what, what you mean by this? It, this is also linked to one of the worst Christmas presents. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christmas experiences. Oh, Christmas experiences, sorry. R- right, so um, my my mom is a huge Phil Collins fan. Um, and back when we thought this was his final tour, um my mom wanted to to go through that tour right and like her christmas wish was to get tickets for the tour mm. <laughs> and my dad fucked that up uh <sighs> because he didn't get to the ticket booth in time or i don't know so the concert was sold out in germany but my dad instead got her i think a a voucher a coupon for manicure or something and package that in a in a letter in a in a couvert like in a just a regular letter right Mm. so when christmas day or christmas eve came and my mom saw like a little letter with her name on it she of course thought that would be phil collins tickets because my dad didn't tell her that he couldn't get tickets so she expected (laughs) to see her favorite artist (laughs) on his last tour ever back when we thought that would be his last tour ever and when she opened it up, it was a voucher for, well, a manicure or something like that. And I I think I've never seen again <laughs> the amount of disappointment on someone's face. <laughs> she was so sad. like, And, and she, she got for him, like I, I think, like an, also a voucher for a city tour or something. And my dad isn't interested in city tours. Oh, so no. they basically they each other... Uh, gave uh, like their worst Christmas uh, uh, presents to each other yeah (laughs) Um, and a year later he got her this DVD for Christmas uh, which we watched then since then every Christmas I think and it it kind of made that better but I I still remember (laughs) that that was such a fucking awful Christmas (laughs) because everybody was pissed off my dad didn't say anything my mom didn't say anything oh man (laughs) well speaking of something that was a bad experience now i'm going to switch to a good experience with my next suggestion of uh, live recordings this is one of the best live experiences i've ever had in my life and um 
I went on a little road trip around New York and Canada a few years back with my wife uh, to go to a wedding in Canada, and we extended it with like a little road trip around uh, New York and Pennsylvania and uh, stuff like that. Um, it was really, really cool. And we got to New York, and I remember saying to my wife, like, oh, we've, uh, you know, we're in summer in New York. It's going to be sort of gig season for sure. And there are any gigs that we could go to that are really good. And um, I'd started listening to My Morning Jacket again at that point. I listened to them a lot when I was in my teens, then took a break for a bit and had just got back into them. They came up as on tour. But the day we arrive, like, or something, or we arrived, no, the night before, sorry, we arrived and we were very jet lagged. It was the, yeah, the first like proper day we had there was this gig. And the tickets were pretty cheap. And I just bought my wife and I a ticket and we're like, come on, let's just go anyway. And it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. It was in Forest Hill Stadium, which is in Queens in New York by a tennis club. A lovely sort of bowl-shaped arena there. It's about 15,000 people, good size outdoors. And the view over Manhattan is incredible. And so when the sun went down, you've got the band on one side and like the sunset over Manhattan sort of semi behind them. Um, It was amazing. One of the best sort of things I've ever seen live. Everyone was absolutely baked. Um, Every single person there was stoned out of their fucking minds Um, (laughs) to the point that midway through the gig, my wife and I were kind of like, are you feeling hungry? Because I'm feeling hungry. Like what? Like it was just, there was no need for a smoke machine. It was enough. Just, it was incredible actually. (laughs) And the set list was a dream, an absolute dream. I remember before I went, I told my wife what I wanted the set list to be. And I think it was exactly what I wanted. Except one song, I think I was a little bit like, ah, meh. But 26 songs, and I think, or 24 songs, and they were all what I wanted them to be. So I think it's probably the best My Morning Jacket set list to date as well. I didn't know that there was a recording of it available, but there is a bootleg recording, because um, what they did at the time was broadcast it on radio at the same time, on like local radio, so other people could hear it in the neighbourhood. And um, someone obviously took a recording of that. So there's a fairly good quality. It's not brilliant, but fairly good quality bootleg recording of My Morning Jacket live at Forest Hills. And um, you can find it online very easily. And I would totally recommend that you seek that out. So Dredge is a band that often uses a lot of, like uh, you mentioned earlier, the stuff when you put like sound effects in between songs and reverbs and delays and just uh, soundscapes. So they they do that on the spot and not with samples or backing tracks, but doing this whole shit live there and fucking around with pedals and the bassist has a pedal board and a feedback stuff. So actually hearing them do that uh, is pretty cool and they're they're just a four-piece band right it's guitar bass drums and vocals and sometimes the drummer also plays piano like literally at the same time which is awesome to see um what's his name That's cool dino dino something 
oh dude it's so cool to see with his, with his left hand he plays piano and with his right he then switches from hi to snare it's awesome dude is a machine as if he's a freaking beast on the drums uh, pretty cool to see so what i especially love about it is that uh, the guitar player mark engels um plays a stereo setup he has two marshalls jcm 900s i think and he splits his signal with a with a delay pedal uh, into stereo uh, which is still i think the last yeah it has to be the last part of the chain and it's so cool to hear actually in the headphones when the guitar goes from mono and slightly pan to the right to this stereo field right awesome to hear like I, I, because it's still raw and you hear that's it is one guitar and it's not a special technique by any means but just to 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 actually be able to hear when he kicks on the delay and the, the signal suddenly goes like this is so cool um he, he his what's also interesting about his uh setup is that he everything is in front of the amp so the delays aren't in the effects loop uh and they always get because of that get crunched by the by the amp's natural overdrive and distortion so no clean delay by any means and everything sounds so so like dirty and shoegazy which is cool and his delay sounded because when the when a delay gets distorted you don't need a lot of level of the delay like the, the wet signal of the delay can be pretty low because it gets compressed and distorted anyway so having too much effect level in there will muddy the sound even further. <laughs> but with just the right amount, you have this really interesting, colorful sound. And yeah, it's basically a trademark of uh, of their sound since the El Cielo album, which is probably my favorite album of all time. I think I mentioned that some episodes ago. So yeah, and what they also do is they change up a bit the songs like not they don't add a verse or cut one out but just here and there little pieces of the songs get rearranged the drummer oftentimes switches the beat goes from a full time to a half time in an unexpected part of the song uh you can hear them make noises here and there they do have a lot of soundscapey stuff in their recordings and because they improvise that in the studio they improvise that as well on stage so it always sounds different and that's when i think they shine the most when they just do their thing and you don't know what's coming next so yeah also you can hear that uh, gavin hayes is a pretty awesome singer with no autotune whatsoever because it's getting the news it's becoming a new standard using autotune live which mm. is ugh. Mm. Uh, and hearing someone actually be able to sing is cool <laughs> it is yeah remember that eh yeah. <laughs> there's a self in a place that spins in the space greed and envy I'm gonna go I, with our last one. Go on, go on. No, I, ju- I was just—I—I I get it for uh, pop artists that they want to sound the best they can with auto tune, but uh, 
yeah. And we, we sound like we, we are more angry about autotune than we are. Like we've talked about it at length before. We're not yeah. that angry about it. We're just, yeah. If you don't need to use it, don't. Is yep. really how we feel. I'm going to jump back to the 80s for a classic. And going back to the 80s really uh, links us into the final part of the show, which we'll do in a minute on 8-Bit Wonderland with Grand Theft Auto Vice City and to a little bit Vice City Stories. Um, but we're going to go back to the 80s when music was fan- fucking fantastic. Um, there was a lot of shit in the 80s as well, though, like for <laughs> sure. And when I do listen to it, sometimes like, oh, this is not as good of a decade as I remember it being. But there was also a lot of great stuff, especially in the rock field, uh, because of bands like this. And that is Queen, who are, in my opinion, the best uh, band that has ever existed and probably ever will. Um, I absolutely adore them in terms of their individual musicianship and talent and as a unit as well. But they've also released a lot of absolute dirge, which has just been rubbish uh, too. (laughs) Uh, But Live at Wembley is not one of them. Um, Recorded 1986, then it was released quite a few years later, 1992. There's 28 songs on here that span their entire catalogue. And it's it came with a DVD uh, years later as well, and a VHS, if you remember those. And just the atmosphere of seeing the old Wembley Stadium full of like 90,000 people or 100,000 people or something absurd is crazy. Just the way Freddie Mercury has people in the palm of his hand. They're copying everything he does and like hanging on every word he says. It's, it's incredible, the amount of charisma that guy had. Um, and I really love it. It's just a superb live recording. The only reservation I have about it is that the second half of the show has a li- weird little cover session bit where they do sort of like old rock and roll songs from the 50s. It only lasts about five to ten minutes, but I find it kind of annoying. And they put a couple of new songs on there, which I really didn't think they would, because it's a greatest hits tour. It might be in support of one of their albums, but it's a very greatest hits heavy set. And then they add a couple of really unnecessary rubbish tracks on there. Um, which really put me off the whole gig. But 28 songs, let's say 23 are solid, and the overall atmosphere and vibe is great. And again, crowd interaction with Freddie Mercury is wonderful. There's a whole three minutes where they're just sort of copying him and going, and so it's really cool, um, which I love. But by the way, there's an interesting fact I wanted to um, to just mention here. So it was a concert that started at 4 p.m., at Wembley Stadium, with tickets costing fourteen pound fifty, which for eighteen eighty no, nine, 1986 was probably a bit more money than today. Let's say it was two or three times that, so maybe fifty quid or so by today's value. So not cheap by any means, but fine. Uh, there were four bands performing that day, though. Queen had three support acts. It was In Excess, uh, The Alarm, Status Quo, and then Queen. <laughs> Look, what the <laughs> fuck bill is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> is that even legal? That's insane. <laughs> like, it's like a festival in an afternoon. I love yeah. it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was when bands didn't mind doing support acts with like three other people or four other big bands of the time where their egos weren't so big that they gave a shit. Like, All right. There we go.
the 80s, man. Speaking of the yeah. 80s, we're going to go right back to the 80s. And I'm going to talk for quite a while that I'll introduce it. But it deserves a lot of talk. What is, in I think, the greatest game probably ever made, or one of, at least, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, is what we're going to be talking about in our 8-bit wonderland. Grand Theft Auto and to a little bit Vice City Stories. I'll start with a little bit of background on the games, although if you're not a gamer, this is the point. You turn off the episode, and thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you again soon. But (laughs) uh, background on the games. Uh, GTA 3 was released in 2001. That was a massive deal because it was when Grand Theft Auto, the sort of crime open-world game, went to 3D, um, and it was a really big deal. And this was released only a year after, 2002, in Vice City, it's called, set in 1986, in the fictional Vice City, which is based on Miami and uh, just Florida in general. And you follow the main character, Tommy Vassetti. As yeah, Tommy V. I love Tommy V. As he rises in the world of gangsters, drug dealers, and assassins and gangs. And it's a cool story and really, really great. Uh, but it was based on a lot of real-life events, including like the Cuban uh, gang warfare, uh, Haitian gang violence, uh, drug smuggling, the East Coast Mafia, uh, glam metal scene that had really become big at this point, and it's sort of paying a lot of tribute to Miami Vice and Scarface and stuff like that. Uh, it's yep. frequently hailed as one of the best video games ever made. At the time it was as well, and now. Uh, if only you could swim, it would have been much better. Um, but aside <laughs> from that, and that fucking helicopter mission, but aside from that, Fantastic game. Now, the reason I want to talk about it is because this is a bit different. Last week, time we talked about Dishonored, which has this actual designed, you know, actually composed soundtrack that's a little bit more like a film you'd expect from a film. Grand Theft Auto doesn't have that. There isn't actually any incidental music in Grand Theft Auto games. There was no original music in a Grand Theft Auto game until Grand Theft Auto 4. Um, there was no original music at all. And in the backgrounds of cutscenes and stuff like that, there's, again, no incidental music at all sometimes. It's just people talking or it's the radio in the background. So it's a really different way of looking at a soundtrack because um, it's more about curating a playlist to set the mood. Uh, that really allows the creators to sort of devise multiple soundtracks for the game, which kind of allows the player to feel like they're in the game and they can adapt their actions to the musical choices or vice versa. Uh, So the radio kind of becomes a soundtrack. And at the time, this also was in Grand Theft Auto 3, but not to the level of this. So at the time, it really was a new thing. This was a real cool feature of a game. And you actually used to be able to make custom soundtracks as well on some of the games. Um, I think now you can play Vice City on your phone and you can make like custom radio stations for it, which is really cool. And nowadays, this kind of inbuilt fake radio station thing isn't rare at all. But at the time, especially when games started going on the PlayStation 2, this was a cool thing. So if you consider that a soundtrack in itself, rather than a jukebox, it's probably my favorite soundtrack of any game. Even though it's not a proper soundtrack, I'd say the best proper sort of soundtracks are the scores are probably something like uh, Ocarina of Time or the Metal Gear Solid series or something like that. 
but this is a create, curated sort of soundtrack is is wonderful. Uh, the radio stations, there are, how many have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine radio stations, and they go from hip-hop and electro to pop to Latin stuff to a talk radio station on to new wave synth-pop, and there's one on metal and rock as well. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Some of the songs, I'm not going to go through so many, but there are so many hits from the 80s here, including stuff from Frankie Goes to Hollywood, stuff from Ario Speedwagon, Toto, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, Iron Maiden, uh, The Whispers are in there, Laura Branigan, that's a really good song, Self Control, Hall & Oates, if people remember, Lionel Richie, Brian Adams, there's so many of the big names of the time were here. Overall, there's 100 in-game songs, and then there's commercials and talk shows and about 8,000 lines of recorded dialogue, which is about nine hours of music overall. And I was doing some research on this to get a little bit more nerdy, and about 50,000 lines of dialogue were recorded um, in total. <laughs> Only about 8,000 made it into the game. The soundtrack has been released by Epic Records, so you can purchase seven discs, seven CDs of all of the songs. <laughs> Um, they're also all available online, so you can listen to them there as well. And I actually sometimes do. In 2012, Rockstar released a behind-the-scenes video explaining how the sound design came about and how the soundtrack was created, but unfortunately the video is no longer available. <clears throat> I'm going to wrap it up quickly before we talk about it, but I just want to tell you a really nerdy figure. There are no figures available for how much this costed to make this soundtrack, but one thing is pretty certain, and it's there's unlikely to be another soundtrack like this due to how complex it was and expensive to get licensing. Um, on GTA 4, a few years later, they needed to contact 2,000 separate agencies to secure licensing for the songs. Um, now, that has twice as many songs as Vice City, but even so, that's quite a drag. And that cost, once you'd, um, once you'd paid it out, it was $5,000 per composition and another $5,000 per master recording per track. So that's $2 million dollars to make the radio stations, <laughs> approximately. Um, Holy crap. And this is at a time, don't forget, everyone forgets this, licensing nowadays for a song is piss easy. If you want to do like a cover or something like that and you know, buy a license for it, it's very easy and it costs very little. We're talking about them making these games in the late 90s, early 2000s. Don't forget the internet wasn't really a thing at that point. Well, it was, but not quite to the level it is now. So it would have been a lot of manual work of phoning agencies, speaking to the right person, and paying them money. Like, mm. 
this must have been a hell of a lot of work um, to do so. Um, yeah. And I don't actually know how they keep doing it today. So it's a hell of a budget for most games now and then. And that's why I think it's one of the best soundtracks ever. It's incredible. That's another one of my uh, memories from with my my best friend from primary school. Because uh, on my own, I don't think I would have played GTA. I was more like the Nintendo guy playing Zelda and Mario, and shooting people in the head wasn't something uh, I wasn't like turned off by it. But it, I don't know, it just didn't strike me as <laughs> mm, <laughs> entertainment mm. back then. Uh, which is okay because I was 12 and the game was for, I don't know, 18-year-olds, <laughs> targeted at 18-year-olds. But that's what happens when a game is released for 18-year-olds, right? The main audience is 12-year-olds. <laughs> and so, yeah, we actually... Uh, I, back then, I didn't appreciate the licensed songs as much. That came more with me being older and then starting to become a musician, uh in when i think that that's when gta 4 came out uh, so we used the feature of adding your own songs like, um, mm. adding your own playlist mm. pretty much all the time with the rammstein live concert so i, I connect tommy v with mm. till lindemann a lot <laughs> um but yeah vice city in general like the whole I replayed it a couple of years ago. I bought the package for 10 euros with GTA 3, Vice City, mm. and San Andreas. Wow. For 10 euros. I think I have that box here. <laughs> so, yeah, I replayed it. And, I mean, not only is the, like, the, the choice of, of songs they pick for the radio stations, it's just, like, it feels so... It's, it's not... You don't think, oh, they pick that song because it's, they like it but it's just i can totally hear that that that's what actually was being played all the time in the radio at the radio it's just it's so it's so natural and so realistic a realistic choice of songs not just oh that song is cool but yeah that's totally what would have been played on that station at that time rounding off the episode this week we're going to submit a couple of songs to our desert island playlist that makes no sense because we've got electricity and a Wi-Fi connection, but somehow we haven't called for help yet. Um, <laughs> but, but there we go. Mind. Uh, maybe we actually don't ever want to get off the island. Did you think about that? Hmm. Right. Maybe it's nice here. Um, but maybe it's anyone else <laughs> who sucks. Um, what I would have on my desert... <laughs> I'm cool, you're cool, <laughs> exactly. so it has to be everybody else. On my desert island, this week on the playlist, uh, talked about them three times already, uh, The War on Drugs and their song Under the Pressure. Never before have I been so excited for a snare hit in a song in my life, but uh, 
the, it's got a couple, maybe it's a tom actually. Yeah, it's not a snare, I think it's a tom, but either way, a couple of tom hits really kick the song into gear, and uh, it's uh, oh, just a really great track. It's actually about depression, the whole song, but a very simple two chord driving rock song that goes into a real middle section lull that is then brought out by a couple of tom hits um, that completely shift gears in the song. And uh, I could listen to this on repeat forever. Uh, so my song would be Devin Townsend's Kingdom, which I talked about uh, a couple of hours ago <laughs> in length. Yeah, uh, awesome song if you want to hear metal that's positive and not about sucking a brain out of a skull. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should, and this is a good... Uh, I think we'll do this. So on another episode, we're going to talk to you about actual sound design. And then another one we should definitely do. I think we should improvise what sh a concept album, like a plot Ooh. of a concept album, and even name like some that. tracks that would be on there and stuff. Just come up with names. Is, is it also at the same time a double album? <laughs> it can be. Maybe we go bizarre. Maybe it's uh, like quadruple album or something. Ooh. We go, we oh, go yeah. real weird, or like four and a but half it, albums. So you only get half a vinyl. Okay, so but the the third and the fourth album has uh, have to be released twenty years later. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. And they'll be called parts five and six, and the first parts will be one and two. So people will be like, wait, where, where's three and four? And that will create yeah. some sort of search for the in the twenty year gap for things we never released. Hell yeah! See, there we go. But uh, concept we, albums. We'll do that another day. But uh, we've been talking a lot this week about stuff we love. It's been a bit of a Weinhardt and Vendel wanking session. And uh, <laughs> next week... That we'll... sounds weird and awesome. <laughs> yeah. We do it back to back, though. Um, we should do an OnlyFans account. An OnlyFans <laughs> account. We definitely should. But uh, yeah, not, not of that. Um <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. As always, get in touch on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, don't forget to write your reviews. The best or worst ones or whatever, the funniest ones get read out. Uh, please don't be Ben. Be nice. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll speak to you. Oh, actually, be Ben. I want to hear the worst about <laughs> yeah, me. Actually, and us. go for it. Roast us, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. I don't care. Like You don't think I haven't heard it before? Go for it. Roast me. Yeah, the, the the most creative uh, swear words. Yeah, get a get a, get a present. Yeah, of of some kind. We'll we'll think of something. But. Of a personalized wanking session. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. This has gone so far off the rails. Thank you very much for listening. Okay. <laughs>